Father God, we pray that you will speak to us tonight. Lord, help us to understand this chapter in Exodus. Help us to not just understand it, but help it to dwell richly in our hearts as we seek to apply what we learn. And Lord, we know that we can't do anything on our own. We need your help. So give us your help, we pray. May your Holy Spirit uh, lead us and speak through us tonight as we go now through this passage of Scripture. And we thank you that it is your living word, that it is your eternal word. So Lord, please help us to take it seriously and to love it because it is from you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've only got one more week of Exodus to go before we uh, have a little break for a while. We've done well to get this far. And uh, really, chapter 18 is... I think it's been placed here specifically for a reason. This encounter between Moses and his father-in-law Jethro, I think it's been placed here specifically to teach us uh, an important, valuable lesson. Most commentators uh, tell us chapter 18 doesn't follow sort of chronological order, that it's been placed as a, a sort of like a summary. They tell us that it likely came after, this incident came after the giving Uh, of the Ten Commandments, of the Sinai sort of narrative. But it's been placed here because of where God's people have got to and because of what is to come. It's come at a time after their deliverance and before the law is given, before they know how God wants them to live. But as I said this morning, really, if we were to sum it up, it's about living in light of our salvation. This chapter really, I I believe, is about how the God's people are to live in light of their salvation. Therefore, I think it's got great relevance for us today. Relevance for every generation. And, And I hope, as Elaine read it, this two sort of clear, distinctive parts of this chapter, verses 1 to 12, and then verses 13 through to 27. And the first aspect, really, the first is really, I mean, it was repeated that many times, it's about remembering. Remembering all that God has done, and then how we respond to all that God has done. So that's what hopefully we'll see in verses 1 to 12. Many of you uh, this year might have gone to a wedding, and Andy and Heather, their son got married. You may have had a, a big birthday celebration, but you know when, when you have you go to a wedding or a big birthday bash, what do you often do the next day? You might sleep. What else do you do? Dissect it. Dissect it. You talk about it, don't you? You talk about it. Wasn't it a great day yesterday? Oh, didn't the bride look wonderful? Didn't the groom scrub up well? Wasn't the service lovely? And you often do it for days after. I remember coming back two weeks after our honeymoon. We had to come home and sit at the in-laws and go through every aspect of the wedding days. Two weeks ago, I'd forgotten everything about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that, but yeah. But that's what you do. When there's something great has happened, a big celebration, perhaps a birthday, you often spend the next day remembering about it. You, you might, in time, remember, uh, you know, on your anniversary or, or another time, you might get the wedding pictures out or the special pictures from, the, you know, from a happy day. And you'll sit there remembering, mem- you know, reminiscing about, oh, wasn't that great? Do you remember that? 
I think it's great when Isabel and Nathan say, can we look at your wedding pictures again? And we get the little special case out and we go through it and who's that and what happened there and why is that like that? We were, it's great, isn't it, to remember. Special moments, special things that have gone on in our life. We like to remember and we like to share it together, don't we? We don't want to just keep it to ourselves. We like to share it together. Well, really, I think if you look at the first ten verses, that's exactly what we see here. Jethro and Moses are remembering. They're reminiscing together. They're going into the details. They're dissecting. And what are they dissecting? What are they remembering? They're remembering all that God has done for them. They've got to this important juncture in Exodus where, where they're about to receive the law at Sinai. They're about to receive it all. They're, they're about to understand what it means. But first of all, the writer wants us to stop and see two chaps sat with a nice drink, maybe a cigar, sat out over the horizon, just remembering together, reminiscing together. But not just of the good old days, of all that the Lord has done. Look at verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Well, we know that Jethro comes out to meet Moses. And verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Look at verse 10. Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. It's a bit of a repetition, isn't there? Jethro's heard about what God has done in saving Moses, saving Israel, bringing them out, delivering them, redeeming them. And he says to, you know, he goes out to meet Moses. Moses, I want to tell you everything. I want to tell you everything. You, you only know the sort of, you've only heard about what goes on. Let me tell you in great detail. We can often identify with that. Somebody hears something that we've done or that's happened to us. And it's, you know, they're really happy for us. And we say, yeah, 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 that's great. Let me tell you how it happened. Let me tell you every bit about it. Well, that's what Moses is doing. Oh, then we see it repeated again. Jethro's delighted about all that God has done. All that God has done in delivering, in saving God's people. You see, Moses here is so passionate not just to remember, not just to reminisce, but to share all that God has done for his people in saving, in redeeming, in rescuing, in delivering them. And if that's not enough, Moses has named his two sons in such a way so that he always remembers. Flick the page over. After Moses has sent his wife Zipporah away, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. Remembers who he once was and his situation. The other name was Eliza. For, the, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me 
from the sword of Pharaoh. He has specifically named his children in such a way that he will look at them and remember all that God has done to rescue them, to deliver them. Wouldn't it be great if we named our children like that today? Wouldn't it be great if we, if we named Isabel slave to sin? Because the Bible tells us we were slaves to sin. We need to remember that we were once slave to sin. We, we, uh, we, we named Nathan the cross. So that when we look at Nathan, we're reminded of the cross, of all that Jesus has done for us. His death, his sacrifice. That's what Moses is doing. He's named his children so that he will never forget. He will always remember all that God has done in saving them, in redeeming them. It's repeated so often for us to miss this point. And you know, that's why I think it's helpful, because we don't do it, I don't think, often enough, to preach the gospel every so often. As a church family, to remind ourselves of who we were, of of our life, before the Lord saved us. To remind ourselves of the the wonderful greatness of the cross. Well, we're Christians, we don't need that, do we? We just need to know how to live now. No, we need to remember. We need to rejoice at who we were. Why we're here today. All that God has done. We must never forget it. We remind ourselves we know in the communion service. We need to keep remembering. I think this is so important. We need to encourage each other. That was the last time. We should know about everybody's coming to the Lord, shouldn't we? I bet I probably know about four or five testimonies. We should know everyone, shouldn't we? We should want to talk about it. Of all that God has done for us in Jesus. Of all that he's done in his mighty love, in his his grace and in his mercy. Moses goes out to meet his father-in-law. And tells him everything that the Lord has done. But then see Jethro's response in verses 9 and 10. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord has done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh. And who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Go on to verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. You see, Jethro was absolutely delighted when Moses explained everything that God had done for them. You know, there's often two types of Christians. The person who becomes a Christian... They think they've got their ticket to heaven, so they just carry on going through life as they did. But you see, the other way is a way that constantly lives in the light of their salvation. They remember that they were once slaves to sin, but not in a way to feel guilty, but a reminder of how amazing God has been with them. The works that he has done to know that they are rescued by God's saving grace and to live in the light of it 
as God's children. They delight to remember all that God has done. They want to share it with others. And just how we see Moses being such an encouragement to Jethro. Now Jethro turns around and becomes an encouragement to Moses. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. It's a wonderful statement, isn't it? It's one that in the Hebrew nobody really knows how to translate. They don't know whether this is... uh, Jethro, for the first time, put in his trust in God. Or when Moses lived with him, that he, he already became a believer in, in Yahweh. And he's actually affirming what he knows about God. Either way fits. It doesn't matter which either way we take it. But what Jethro is absolutely clear is that there is only one God who can save. And it is Yahweh, the great I am. And we see that his response, verse 12, was to offer a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a, meat, eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. So in this act of remembering, in this sharing, this time that they have together, Jethro praises God... He affirms or he believes in God that he's the only one who can save. And in response to that, it's this act of worship. He makes a sacrifice, an offering to God for all his greatness. And I think there's the point there. You see, living in the light of salvation isn't just about remembering. It's not just about looking back. But it's about a life of praise and sacrifice to our mighty God. Isn't that exactly what Paul taught in Romans 12, a passage we know so well? Paul starts chapter 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, therefore, in in view of all that has I've just laid out about the gospel in chapters 1 to 11. About who you once were, about who you now are. Do what? In the light of your salvation, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Living in light of our salvation means living a life of sacrifice to God of praise and worship and sacrifice. There is no other way in response to all that God has done. Not out of duty. Jethro wasn't doing this out of duty. He wasn't doing it to get in God's good books. It was a genuine heart response to the truth that he had heard about God and what God had done. Well, friends, that's got to be our response too. It has to come from the heart. A heartfelt response to all that God has done for us. To live a life of sacrifice, of worship, of giving ourselves to God. 
The second part of the chapter is verses 13 to 27. And if the first part is about living in light of, of their salvation, then we could say that the second part is about living in line with their salvation. The first part's about living in light of their salvation. And the second part, I think, is about living in line with their salvation. You see, the people want to know how to live under God for God. Verse 13 tells us, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. Moses sort of took his seat to judge. He was acting as a judge. And it means here, it's not just a sort of courtroom judge. Don't think of it like that. It's sort of the, what, the person you go to for advice, for instruction, for answers. I don't know, sort of like the head of the family. Do you have, I don't know if you've had any wise person in your family who sort of everyone would go to for good advice, things like that. That's sort of what we understand by this word judge here in chapter 18. So the people came to Moses to seek God's will. To what They wanted to know how to live in line with their salvation, in light of their salvation. So, verse 15, the people come to me to seek God's will. Verse 16, if there's a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Jethro says, well, that's a great thing. He says it's great. He says in verse 20, yeah, do it. Teach them his decrees and instructions. This is why we think that it's actually, this chapter happened after Sinai because they didn't have any instruction at that point. They didn't have any of God's decrees. They didn't have his laws. Yet they did after Moses' encounter upon Mount Sinai. So actually, this is a really good thing. God's people wanted to live in line with their salvation. They wanted to go. There's a real positive aspect in Moses' ministry here. But there's also negative aspects. Verse 16, whenever they have a dispute, Moses had to deal with disputes, with fallouts, with disagreements. And he did it from morning to the evening. And Jethro sort of says, yeah, that's not good for you. I listened to some sermons uh, on this in preparation and it was all about burnout. Our leaders burn out. You know, it was all on that. And to some aspect, there's right. Jethro's advice, his response to him is saying, well, hang on a minute, mate. You're going to be exhausted doing this. This isn't helpful. Yes, teach God's word, verse uh, 20. Teach his decrees and instructions. Yes, teach the people. They need to know how to live in line with their salvation. And it's great that they want to know. They want to know what God's will is. But you can't do it all on your own. That is a timely, timely thing that we need to hear. He says you can't do it on your own. And Jethro then gives him some advice. Advice that he listens to. Advice that he implements. He says, you need some help. You need to get a crowd around you. You need to get people around you who you trust. Let me see that, don't we, in verse 21. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men, 
who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Let them serve as judges for the people at all times. But let them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So he says, look, you know, get people to help you. Let them take the load, the easy cases, any disputes, things like that. Let them deal with it. If there's anything difficult and hard, well, then you deal with it. Because you are Israel's leader. But get people to help you. And look at the characteristics of who he's... Uh, who, Jethro says he should choose. Leaders who fear God. Who are trustworthy. And not only trustworthy, but but men who hate dishonest gain. You see, this is a time when God's people have only just started to understand God's law. They're only just receiving it. Therefore, what we know about God's people so far is that they're not very good, are they? So Moses needs to have people who he trusts 100% who will act and serve in a godly manner. Who fear God, who really fear God in that right sense. That they live with reverence before God. That they are absolutely trustworthy men. They don't have to be the most theologically minded. They don't have to be the most, uh, you know, the greatest sort of teacher. They don't have to have all the answers, but can you trust them to serve in such a way that honours God? Men who hate dishonest gain. And that's great advice, isn't it? It's great advice for leadership in the church today. But he says you've got to do it. Make sure you teach God's word, God's God's decrees and instructions. Show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But get help for the other things. Don't try and do it on your own. Moses has a primary job to teach God's word and to apply it to their everyday situation. And this is such a consistent picture in the Bible. God instructing us for godly living through his word as we apply his teaching to everyday situations. Because it's not an exhaustive list. You can't pick up your Bible and think of every situation you might be facing and go to like a topics bit saying, well, that's in there. What car do I buy? How much money do I spend on a car? I need to turn to page such a thing. It's not there. That's why you need godly people to teach, trustworthy people to teach and to lead. We need to use godly wisdom to apply what God does say to the situations we face. And that's Moses' main job. And we need leaders to do that. Churches need people to be taught. They need to be taught. But there's something else. Not only do we need to live in line with our salvation in God's word, It's a community project as well. That's why Jethro says, get other people involved in this. 
It's a community project. And I think that's really important for us. That we have this togetherness and this working together. Moses can't do it on his own. I can't do it all on my own. I know that. like to think we can do it all on our own. But actually, what does Jethro say to Moses? What you are doing is not good. Verse 17. Verse 18. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. We need to work together. We need other people to be able to teach and to lead. We need other people to encourage, to give advice, godly advice. So that we can live in line with our salvation. I think there's two wonderful points in this chapter for us. We need to live in light of our salvation. And that means remembering and rejoicing and praising. And then responding the right way in heartfelt worship and praise and sacrifice. But then we need to make sure we're living in line with our salvation. That we live in such a way, whether it's in disputes or understanding God's word. That people need to know how to live from what God says in his word. It's important to us as a church family, isn't it? It's important for us as a PCC. At every aspect. To make sure we do live in light of our salvation, but we live in line with our salvation. That we live as God wants us to live. Because as we'll see in the next chapters... God constantly lays it out. Follow my ways. Follow my instructions. And you will be blessed. But if you don't, don't expect anything other than God's wrath, God's anger, and God's judgment. We need to pray for each other then. Encourage each other to live in light of our salvation. And we need to thank God that we have leaders to make sure that we're living in line with our salvation. Let's pray. Jethro said to Moses, teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Father God, may we be humble enough to make sure we keep coming to your word, to seeking how we are to live as your people, but also how we are to behave as your people, to live in a right manner, to live in line of our salvation, to live in a way that really does honour and please you. That we are a people that keeps hold of your word. We keep fast to your teaching. We thank you for those in leadership who have that responsibility for teaching your word, whether it's in junior church or at the front of church. And we pray, Lord, that we will humble ourselves first to you and your word, 
that we will be seeking to live in line with what you say we should be living. But that we will encourage others so that we know how we are to behave and act. And Lord, we pray that as we do that, you will bless us. That you will bear fruit within us for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen. Well, we stand to sing our final song, Lord for the Years.
sins. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in Him, so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.